0: Time just drifts away, and as I look back on the years, memories of happiness and bitter tears, through it all there was a common thread that cannot be ignored. You were there, teaching me to be your servant, Lord. Left up to chance Lord I know you were working to fulfill
1: Amen. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. We're not necessarily going to uh, preach out of this passage that awfully much, but I want to use it just this morning as a springboard to address an issue that I believe is so valuable, so important, so uh, necessary in each of our lives today. And um, let's read that, and we'll get into it, and we'll express and explain what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. Again, we had a a great group gather yesterday for the usher, greeter training, and boy, that was exciting. And again, um, unfortunately, they had to listen to me way too much. But other than that, I thought it went really good. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about what God's going to do in our new building, and Uh, It just seems that everyone else is excited about it as well, and I'm happy about that. And boy, i tell you what, we've got uh, a lot to do, a lot of work to be done, and uh, one of those steps is, of course, our training this coming Saturday as we uh, place, uh, uh, give opportunity for folks to begin to be familiarized with our Sunday schools if they haven't been, uh, our bus ministry if they haven't been, and just begin to give some of the principles and the necessary elements that will help to make us successful in that area of training children and raising up another generation and reaching our community for christ and so saturday 9 30 we'll look forward to seeing you i'll look forward to seeing you there and we'll have a good time as we uh, take on that endeavor let's go ahead and look at chapter 5 verse 22 through 23 galatians but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance against such there is no law again it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And I want to focus today um, on that word joy, joy. You know, every football team, and this is the time of year where it's really more prevalent than any with the playoffs in the NFL, and recently we just had the national championship for the NCAA, and well, we just had a lot of things going on with football lately, and There's not a football team that doesn't game plan for victory. I mean, they spend hours upon hours reviewing film and preparing a game plan so that they can go out onto the field of battle and walk away or run away with a victory, a game plan. There's not a CEO that heads up any corporation or company that doesn't game plan for success, doesn't put things in place to Guarantee that they're going to go forward and not backward. To ensure that it's not going to be a a bottom line that's in the red, but a bottom line that's in the black. A bottom line that is in the positive. A game planning for success. There's not a couple, very few at least, that don't plan on some kind of retirement strategy especially in the day and age in which we live where you don't really retire with a retirement. Companies don't provide those kind of things like they used to, and so now you have to have your own retirement strategy, your own retirement plan if you hope to successfully retire and actually be able to make it. And so there's a strategy that goes along with it. There's a game plan that we have to implement. I I believe today, and I am confident of this, that believers need to game plan for joy yes, amen. need a game plan for joy right. See being born into the family of God No more entitles us to joy Than being born into a particular family on earth It's an amazing thing. It doesn't matter. You know, some people say, well, you were very fortunate you were born into a good home. Let me tell you something. Just because you're born into a home with means, just because you're born into a home that has this element and that element and those things which we would call, uh, uh, you know, blessings, doesn't mean that there's joy in that home. You can have every opportunity to have joy. You can have everything available to you, but that doesn't mean that you have joy. I have watched homes where there's Good financial stability, where there's opportunity, where there are uh, educations and all kinds of other things that would make it a home where it should be a place of joy, but there is misery there in those homes. So just being born into the family of God, it would be like being born into another, unearthly uh, an family. And just because you're in a particular family, you should be filled with joy and everything should be fine. Let me tell you something. It doesn't work that way and it doesn't work that way in the Christian life. The truth is, is that in a home, if you fail to comply with the rules, the standards and the demands of our of the parent. Then your existence in that home is going to be miserable. It's going to cause others to be miserable. And, you know, we're going to see that in the Christian life, there's some. There's some demands, standards, rules that have to be implemented if we want to experience joy. I want to share three essentials on the road to joy today. And and basically, I want us to have a game plan for joy. A game plan for joy. So let's consider these three things as we seek a game plan for joy today. I don't think there's a person in the crowd that doesn't want to experience joy. I think every one of us want to be filled with joy. So I'm going to give you three things that are essential if you're going to obtain joy in your life. And I think that'll be helpful, not just to you, but to me as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for bringing all of these souls into one place, giving us opportunity to grow in Christ, an opportunity to reach the lost. And I thank you, Father, for just your love and your grace in our life. Thank you for the opportunities that you provide us with. Lord, help us to take full, op- full, take full uh Um, opportunity to make full opportunity to use each of those opportunities for your glory and your good father we need you today and bless us in this service and just be magnified in our lives and help us to bring glory to you and honor to you and pleasure to you we love you now and we need you and help us to discover a game plan for joy if we haven't already found it consistently in our life we need you lord in christ's name amen The first essential, essential number one, is conversion, is conversion. If you really want joy in your life, you're going to have to experience what is called conversion. Now, what I'm talking about is being saved, trusting Christ, receiving the Lord. If you're going to be converted, then that demands an acknowledgement. You say, what kind of acknowledgement? Well, turn to Acts chapter 17. It it demands an acknowledgement, this conversion does. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. <clears throat> the apostle Paul is waiting for some of the other's disciples. He's waiting to meet them, to once again be reunited. But in the meantime, he finds himself in Athens. And the Bible picks up here in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, and says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens... I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found on an altar uh, I, I found on, alt, on an altar excuse me, I found an altar with this inscription, "To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you." God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. There has to be an acknowledgment here, an acknowledgment of a God, the God of the universe, the God that created all things. There has to be an acknowledgement that there is someone, something bigger than ourselves. And then the reality is is that there is a God who created all things. And the Bible even goes on to tell us here that he giveth to all life and breath and all things. If you are breathing today, it is a direct result of the God in heaven that created you, made you, and gave you life today. If there's anything good in your life today, it's a direct result of him. There's an acknowledgment that must take place. If a man or a woman is to be converted, there must be an acknowledgment. And that acknowledgment is that there is a God. And that God is creator of all things. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it goes on to say, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. If you don't believe there is God then you can't possibly be converted. If you say, I believe in evolution. I don't believe there was ever a creator. I'm convinced that it just happened. Then, my friend, there's no way you're going to ever truly find the joy that God intended for you. If you want a true game plan for joy, it involves an Demands and requires conversion. And that means that you must have an acknowledgement that there is a God in heaven and that He created you and He gave you breath and He gave you life and He gave you all things. You must believe that He is. But not only does it demand an acknowledgement, but it demands an accounting. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, an accounting. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he makes this statement concerning the law. We understand in the Old Testament that Israel was given the law, and for years they continued to, well, they didn't really follow the law, but they were supposed to keep the law as best as possible. What we found is that they could not keep the law. And the truth is, is that we're going to see in the passage, as we move into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes it clear why the law was given. Someone says, well, how do you get to heaven? Well, of course, keep the Ten Commandments. But we're going to see that that is not why they were given. Contrary to popular belief, the reality is, is that there is not one among us that could ever even consider keeping the law, let alone do it. And the Apostle Paul makes that clear. Here in chapter 3, verse 19, he basically tells us the purpose of the law. Those Ten Commandments and all of those statutes that were given to the people of God in the Old Testament. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Notice again, he says, This law is to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. I, am, I must admit, I am extremely good. Amen. you know what the law says about that? Shut up. I believe I'm really a good person. As I read through the law, the Ten Commandments, it says, Shut up. That's what it says. You don't have a clue what you're talking about, the law says. Have you read me? Have you listened to what I have to say? Don't you recognize and realize you are not all that? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law says, not only are you unworthy, but everybody's unworthy. You're not alone. You're all in the same boat. There's not one of you that keeps me, the law says. Not one of you that fulfills me, the law says. Shut up. Isn't that something? He goes on to say, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. I can do my very best to keep the law, to fulfill the the demands, the commands of the law. But the reality is, is that no matter how hard I try, I will fail. And I'll not be justified in his sight. But instead, I'll just ever be reminded of my sin. every time I pick up this book, every time I read it, every time I'm confronted with true truth and every time I'm confronted with the Word of God, I realize I fall miserably short. I'm just a sinner. And that's what the law was supposed to do. And then the law finally, come. we come to the place where Jesus Christ came to earth and He literally, God in flesh, perfect and sinless, took our rightful place on Calvary because we were sinners, we deserved death. He took our death for us. He paid the penalty and the price for our sin. And 2,000 years ago, not only did he die, suffer, and bleed, but he was buried and rose again. The Lord Jesus Christ, all so that you and I could, could be in a position where we were no longer under the law, Because the law said, if we commit a sin against the law, we deserve death. Well, guess what? I live today. Not because I'm so good, but because he's good. Not because I'm so wonderful, but because he's wonderful. That's why I'm living today. That's why I'm alive today. And that's why you are, if indeed you are. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul finally comes to the place and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, when we start taking or making an account of our true life, ourselves, when we don't just simply look in the mirror and see a reflection, but we look in our heart, we realize whew, we're just sinners. With no hope. It demands an acknowledgement. It demands an accounting. But also. This conversion. Demands an acceptance. Turn to Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 please. We are aware that. In Revelation chapter 3. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he and The churches are being addressed here. We know doctrinally it deals with the church throughout this dispensation. We understand that. We believe and know that it dealt with specific churches even during the time of the writing when it was taking place. But I believe that inspirationally and as a means by which to grow and learn, we can look at it today and we can see ourselves in this passage. And we can see how God works not just in churches, but He works in lives. Notice what he says here in the passage. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about specifically, doctrinally, about the church itself. There'll come a time in history, and I believe we are well there, (laughs) probably have been for years. And Lord willing, he's coming back soon. But in those last days, the Bible teaches us that the Lord Jesus will be standing on the outside of a church knocking seeking admission the preaching will be going on the singing will be taking place the sunday schools will be moving forward but jesus will be nowhere to be found that's right according to the passage instead he'll be on the outside knocking let me in let me in i want to be a part of the service we have our own plan jesus we have our own kind of worship we have our own kind of service no we realize you're out there possibly they may not even know that but we're content to do as usual but hold on i believe that in spite of the fact that he stands on the outside knocking to enter the church house to fill the place with his spirit to truly move and to order this service i believe That whether or not he's on the inside or the outside, he still has access to your heart. And he knocks today and says, whether or not you're in a place you ought to be, I can still be in you. I can still direct you. I can still lead you. And I can sup with you. But I believe once he starts to do that, you'll want to find a place you can worship where he is. I'm glad you don't have to go to a church to find him. I mean, I'm glad you don't have to sit under the preaching necessarily of a man of God. I'm glad you can simply find him. Because he's always knocking if you seriously are listening. But it demands an acceptance. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. You have to open the door. You have to accept him. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's an acceptance there. You say, well, there's a calling. Yes, but you have to be willing to accept him. See, the fact is you've acknowledged him already. You've said, I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe he's the creator of all the universe. I know that he placed me here. I know that he gave me breath. And I know that he gave me life. And I know that he gave me all things. And I know that he sent his son Jesus to come to earth and die in my stead. Because I am simply, uh, after accounting everything, I know I'm a sinner and I can't get to heaven without him. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, come into my life. I accept you. That's a reality that has to take place if you want to be converted. But Let me tell you something. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what nationality you claim. The reality is today is that Jesus is an equal opportunity employer. And if you will invite him in your life, he'll come into your life and he'll change your life. Number two, essential number two, not only conversion, but you need conformity. Conformity. We're seeking joy. We want a game plan for joy. We live in a world where joy is extremely elusive. Essential two, conformity. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Turn there, would you please? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Notice the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate Or predetermined that we should be conformed to the image of His Son. He intends us to be in the image of His Son. Conformity. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice again in the passage, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Matter of fact, in Philippians 2 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> when I think of conformity, my mind first comes to a place where I see it as an internal choice. It seems to be something that is within, it's more of an attitude almost than it is an action. It's a position where we come to the place and we say, I am. Recognize and realize I must be like Him. And that must be my goal, my desire, to be like Him, to think like Him. And may I say that your thoughts always drive action. So therefore, I believe the conformity here, having the mind of Christ... I believe here in the the passage, being predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son, to literally have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to have the perspective of Christ, the outlook of Christ. Being inundated and saturated for a lifetime with the mindset of this immoral and carnal culture, we are sure to struggle with seeing things God's way. It's going to be hard to see things God's way. The longer you lived under the bondage of sin, the longer you allowed Satan and sin to rule your life, the more difficult it's going to be to have the mind of Christ in one sense. It's going to be difficult because you have been programmed to think a certain way, to believe certain things as truth, to embrace a certain ideology as real. Our views, our outlook, our perspectives have been colored by our environment. And let's face it, there can be no dismissing this reality and truth. So we have to agree with God that we must be conformed. That we need this transformation. That we are not in alignment with the mind of Christ. We need the mind of Christ. We have to be convinced that our present state will not and cannot please the Lord. And therefore, we must be serious about conforming to the image of Christ. We must be term, determined to bear the mind of Christ, to possess the mind of Christ. So our greatest desire and goal in life should be to be like Him. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Look of you on 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. The fact is, is that if you're a child of God, if you have been converted, then may I say to you today, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, what the Bible's teaching is that you really are not your own to do with as you please. (laughs) You're his property, his possession. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit are God's. You and I, we have to come to the place, if we truly want to have the joy of the Lord, if we truly want to experience a consistent joyful spirit and attitude in our life and joy in our, the midst of our life, then we're going to have to come to the place where, one, we have been converted uh, and that we've trusted Christ, but then also that we've been conformed, that our mind is that of Christ, that we are focusing on Him, that we recognize Him and the need to be like Him. There's some steps that need to take place if we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. It's been said that we become like those we hang around with. Well, Scripture bears that out. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now, there is no one more wise than Jesus. No one. So if that's the case, then we need to be consecrated. You say, what do you mean? Well, we need to come apart from the world and be set apart unto him. What that virtually means is simply this. Um, Stand up, would you? Stand up over there, okay? No, you, you over here, you over there. That's my new language. Here it is, the world Obvious, right? The world Listen, the truth is is that for years before I come to Christ I was joined to the world I thought like the world I hung out with the world, so to speak I, I had the mentality and the ideology of the world It was just natural because the world was all I knew But then I got saved But may I say, just because I trusted Christ and was converted, just because I received the Lord, doesn't mean that I have split with this. I may not be the same person I was, but I have to be careful who I'm hanging out with, so to speak, what I'm allowing to influence my life. Am I allowing the world to influence me still? Because if I am, guess what mind I will have? The mind of the flesh, the mind of the world. The Bible says, the reality is we need to be consecrated. We need to be set apart from the world unto Jesus, unto the Lord. Now my fellowship is not with the world. My fellowship was with Jesus Christ. I recognize that He's worthy of my... Turn, please. I I realize that He's worthy of of my, 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 my fellowship, My relationship with him. I, I, Man, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be influenced by Jesus. I want to have him telling me things. And I want to hear what he has to say. Man, I'll tell you what, he's worth hanging out with. Consecrated unto Jesus. Apart from the world, unto Jesus. Now that apart from the world could take on a number of shapes. A number of sizes. A number of even organizations, institutions, people. I understand all that. That's not the issue right now. But I've come apart from the world and the ideology, the, fi- the, the, the mentality, the outlook of the world. And I realize I cannot continue to live my life like I've been living it and dwell in that presence of that culture, so to speak. I need a new culture. i got to get with Jesus. I want to hear from Him. I want to know what He has to say. I want to be influenced by the Lord consecrated. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. You can sit down. But not only that, there has to be communication. Because when you think about it, those who we speak to and those that we listen to and those that we interact with influence our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. So guess what? I'm telling you right now, if I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ, I've got to get close to Him. And then I need to communicate with Him i got to consistently talk with Him and fellowship with Him if I truly want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Hold on. We're talking about a game plan for joy. It's one thing to be converted, but it is another thing to have joy in your life. And we get the idea today that, well, let me, your whole, all your life problems will be solved if you just come to Jesus. If you just surrender your life to the Lord Everything will get better. Everything will be wonderful. Everything will be roses again. That's not true. However, you can have joy in your life, though. But salvation alone does not guarantee joy. You have to have a game plan. The first part, the first part is conversion. But then you need conformity. And finally, number three, you need compliance. 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 It's telling me I have to get up and move around. I forgot to put it on. Somebody told me to put it on this moon here. I forgot to put the moon on today. That didn't come out right, did it? Wow, okay, moving on. Wow, that just didn't work. But anyway, you'll see there's a moon there, but anyway. So finally, we need compliance. It's not enough. Conversion. Yes, but we're going to need, as we said, conformity. The mind of Christ. But then also compliance. When you buy a bookshelf, and that bookshelf needs to be assembled, you're going to receive instructions. The instruction will tell you how to build it, how to complete it. Now, you may own the shelf. It's yours. You already it's, it's yours there's no doubt about that no question about it but the truth is that shelf isn't functional until you follow the instructions and build it it's not functional you're not putting any books on it unless you want to just set the books on a box you got to get it out of the box you got to follow the instructions you got to build it and then it becomes functional now I don't know about you but I find myself trying to build things without instructions continually it's my way I don't like to follow instructions. I'm not stupid. I know what I'm doing. Right? But how many times have we began to build only to find we have to remove this or remove that or possibly start all over? Why? Because I failed to follow the instructions. My wife was used to get on me all the time. I remember our first, first date, so to speak. We went out and we were supposed to be going bowling. I couldn't find that bowling alley for Nothing. Uh, Why don't you stop and ask someone? I don't need to ask anybody. I know where it is. Just stop and ask somebody. I said, why would I ask? I know it's around here somewhere. (laughs) And that's how we ended up at a graveyard. (laughs) Walking through a graveyard on our first date. She should have ran at that point. That was a prelude to the future. But nonetheless, (laughs) I would not get directions. And you know what? I don't like instructions now when it comes to building things. But here's the problem. Often I have to start all over. Often I have to rebuild again. Often it is a mess. I don't follow the instructions. Hold on. There's a principle here, isn't there? If you don't follow the instructions, that shelf will not be sturdy. It will not be strong in order to optimize its purpose. See, I could have avoided all that. It could have been sturdy and strong, and I could have been putting books on it if I'd only followed the destructions. The instructions. Too often we're trying to build our own Christian lives on our own. Now, now, now listen, we have a plan. We have a plan, but it's our plan. Now, that may seem reasonable at first because we're so used to doing things our own way before we're saved. I mean, that's natural. It's normal. You make a game plan. You go forward. You don't have to consult. You're smart. You've got some common sense. I mean... You're going to go forward. You know what it takes to be financially stable. You know what it takes to have a good home. You know what it takes to have a good marriage. You know what it takes to, to enjoy life. You know what it takes to raise children. You know all that stuff you think. Because the world tells you what it and how it should be done. And you say, I know how it should be done. I, I know it. I have a game plan. After you get saved, unfortunately, we, sometimes we bring those game plans into our Christian life. There are plans, not God's plans. But see, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is more concerned about us than we can even imagine. God had promised to deliver King Saul. He had, to, he had promised to deliver Israel even from Amalek, and, and, and who were their enemies. God had promised to do that. The only condition was that they were to utterly destroy them. They were to take no prisoners. They were to take no spoils. They're not to take anything away from the battle. The battle went as promised. But the king and his people did not obey God. As a matter of fact, they spared Amalek's king, Agag. And they took of the spoil to which God sent his prophet Samuel to confront the king. And here's what he said in 1 Samuel 15, 19 through 23. Let me read it, please. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. It's funny when we have our own plan, how we believe it's God's plan for us. That's often the case. And he goes on to say, And have gone the way which the Lord sent me. I've not only obeyed him, but I've followed him. I've gone the direction he sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You got the king with you. You even admitted it, but you utterly destroyed them? But the people took of the spoil. Those dirty rascals. They took of the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, Why? (laughs) This guy's great. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. I did it. I allowed them to take them so we can sacrifice them to God. God didn't want them. God said to utterly destroy them. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Do you know his life was miserable? Just a few years into his reign, and he would reign for 40 years, but only a few years into his reign, he makes this horrible judgment. He fails to abide by and follow the Word of God, and his life is wrecked and ruined because he will not obey God, because he will not implement the truths of the Word of God, because he chooses to disobey and disregard God and His Word. You want joy in your life? You have to be compliant with the Word of God. You have to obey His Word. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what it's saying? Don't be controlled by anything or anyone else but Him. Don't allow yourself to be controlled by a substance. Don't allow yourself to be controlled by a wicked mind. Don't allow yourself to be directed and led by the world philosophy and system. No! You have to obey the Word of God. You want joy? Then Yes. You need to be converted. You need to conform, but you need to comply. See, obey His Word, but also you need to order your life. You say, what do you mean? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. You have to allow God's word to order your life. Oh, you say, what do you mean again? Well, let me explain. First of all, you need, to, you, you, you need to comply with God's roles and responsibilities in your life. What do you mean? First of all, gender roles. He made them male and female. Amen. And you know what? God has specific Roles and responsibilities for men and women. It's in the Bible. Right. Why is it that we have so, much, so many problems in lives today? Why are we so up and down in the things? I, why is it so crazy today? I'll tell you why. Because we have disregarded the Word of God. We are no longer ordered by the Word of God. We do not comply with the Word of God. We have our own ideas and our own philosophies and our own plans. And we have messed up. God's roles and responsibilities, Not just with gender roles, but marriage roles. Husband and wife. God says this is what the husband's role and responsibility is. This is what the wife's role and responsibility is. It's a biblical truth. It's defined in scripture. We have disregarded. We have blatantly said, who cares? I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want and I'll be blessed how's that working well look at the divorce rate look at how unhappy even believers are today in their homes wreck and ruin why because we disregard his word family roles children and parents god defines how we're to care for to correct to address our children and how they're to address and, and respond to us, there are roles. a child's role is not to tell mom and dad what to do, but to obey and respect and honor a parent's is to give leadership and direction and even correction if necessary. We have abandoned biblical roles. In our homes We give our children way too much Authority in our homes many times And then we wonder why It is chaos and confusion Or we are just frustrated Because we know it isn't Right what's going on but we aren't willing To take a stand Because we're so afraid of losing their love Or them Leaving our home Well he's 35 ma'am. Let him go let him go. <laughs> Gender roles, marriage roles, family roles. Okay, so roles and responsibilities. But also, may I say this, order in our lives concerning responses and reactions. Responses and reactions. Anger. Think about this. How do you respond to the temptation of anger in your life? You know what the Bible says in James 1.19? Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. But boy, let somebody cut us off and it's, what? Let somebody disagree with us and it's like, I mean, we get so angry all the time. We're always ready to just bubble over. And yet, we have disregarded order in our lives. The Word of God, we have to order our lives by the Word of God. So what's that mean? That means then that we must practice the aspect of being swift to hear. Instead of the first thing I want to do is talk, I want to listen. Instead of the first thing wanting to be, you know, uh, uh, get angry, no, I'm just going to stay calm. What I'm going to do is listen. See, That's a biblical principle It will bring order to your life And it will bring joy You say well there's a lot of things to be mad about In my house I'm sure there are You're probably one of them (laughs) What about this area of forgiveness I don't have a lot of time So I just want to bring one more Forgiveness You know, the Bible orders us. It it describes how we're to deal with this issue of being hurt and how we're to deal with it. It says in Ephesians 4.32, And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We won't forgive, even though the Bible says to forgive. We will not allow the Word of God to order our life. And as a result of that, we have no joy in our life. We're getting angry all the time. We won't forgive people. We hold grudges. And we wonder why we're so miserable all the time. Game plan for joy, conversion, conformity, compliance. Let me ask you, what are you building your life on? Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended and the floods came. By the way, the rain and the floods will come. No matter how saved you are, no matter how consecrated you are, no matter how committed you are to Jesus, they're coming. But hold on. See the result. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. But hold on. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell, it fell and great was the fall of it. I'm concerned that more than likely the reason why we do not have the joy that we ought to have, Well, I'm not even concerned more than likely, it's just the bottom line. Is that we have not understood our need to be conformed and compliant. I believe there's a lot of folks in churches that very well are converted that know Christ as Savior. But they have yet to be willing and recognize their need of conformity to Christ and their willingness To comply with his word You will never find the joy you're looking for If you're going to have your own game plan The game plan of joy Is found in the word of God And it's following a savior The very one who forgave you And who gave you hope of everlasting life You've got to get back on board with him You've got to place your feet upon him The solid rock And then you'll be fine And you'll experience joy Even in the midst of difficulty You'll know what true peace is. You'll know him. And He'll bring you that confidence. And you'll know joy. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us.